Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Welcome. I'm your host, Ron Huntley. I had a chance to record this podcast in December of 2020, the same month Bishop Thomas Dowd was made the Bishop of Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Bishop Dowd was made a bishop at 40 years of age, and at the time it made him the second youngest bishop in the world. What a wonderful man he is. For our Canadian audience, please keep in mind that this was recorded before the residential school findings, and that's the only reason that that topic did not come up. I had a lot of fun recording this episode. Enjoy the conversation. Lift off and the clock has started. In life, there are many times when we have new starts. We're blessed to have Bishop Thomas Dowd with us today as he starts his new journey as the Bishop of Sault Ste. Marie. Welcome, Bishop Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. You know, it's kind of neat to be cracking open this conversation with you because you just were assigned. It, it, it was December of 2020, wasn't it? That's right. Uh, I got the call in October that I was being asked to become diocesan bishop in Sault Ste. Marie, and the installation mass was in December, December 17th. Congratulations. That Thank is you. so cool. Let me ask you, like, when you, like, you were an auxiliary bishop before this in Montreal, and that's where we first had a chance to meet how did that prepare you in, in your, from your perspective for what lies ahead? Well, the time in Montreal, Montreal is a big diocese. It's a very complex diocese. There's a lot of things that are parallel, you might say, between Sault Ste. Marie and Montreal. There's actually a historical connection between the two dioceses. Uh, bishop Carter, who was diocesan bishop here for a couple of decades, he was originally in Montreal. Come on. Uh, yeah, a bishop, uh, Bob Harris, who later became diocesan bishop of St. John in New Brunswick, but he started as auxiliary in this diocese. And so historically, there have been some connections between us. Uh, the bilingual reality of this diocese is echoed in Montreal. So growing up in a linguistic minority in Montreal and then coming here, it's, it's good to have that experience so that you can be attentive to the needs of all the various communities. Mm. Um, of course, it's just a good training ground for how to be a bishop, being an auxiliary. There, there's no school for bishops, you know? There's no seminary for bishops. I bet you that surprises uh, some people. It, it probably does. And, you know, there's something to be said for training for, you know, new staff, you might say. And yeah. so what, how can we do something about that? But for the moment, there isn't. And so yeah. the way you... Learn. I was made a bishop at the age of 40. And, uh, you know, at the time I said to myself, well, I guess God wants me to learn how to be a bishop by being one. Because <laughs> so, that's young for being appointed a bishop. Yeah, I was the second youngest in the world at the time. So, uh, it, so yeah, I, as I said, you know, it wanted me to learn how to be a bishop by being one. And so my time in Montreal was a time of learning. Yes. Uh, some experimentation, you know, trying different things. Um, there were times where my experience was needed, uh, you know, almost put to the test. During my time in Montreal, I was also blessed 
to have a chance to continue my canon law studies. So I finished my canon law part-time throughout that period of of being a bishop. So normally it doesn't take eight years to do that degree, but in my case it did. But I really believe in continuing education. So bit by bit, just continuing to learn. Can I ask you a question? What's the relationship like? Like between an auxiliary bishop, and, and I'm not talking from a personal level, I'm talking from a functional level between a bishop and an auxiliary bishop. Like, what does that look like? Well, a, a diocesan bishop is put in charge of a diocese. So you're the, uh, the chief shepherd of a particular unit, a particular territory. Yeah. I like to consider a diocese as a mission territory, you know, almost like a, uh, it, it's, it's not institutional so much as it's a calling. We're called to serve in that area. And an auxiliary is a bishop who is appointed to assist the diocesan bishop in that role. So for some dioceses, which are either very large geographically or have very large populations, those would be reasons why you'd have an auxiliary bishop in a particular diocese. Cool. What was your role in Montreal? Well, I was appointed from the Anglophone community. and so. I became the Episcopal Vicar for the English-speaking faithful in Montreal, which is about 200,000 people. It's probably roughly the same number of people, Catholics, as I have in this diocese. And so, you know, it's comparable in size and what have you. After a time in that role, I became uh, one of the vicars general in the Diocese of Montreal. Okay, what does that mean for folks that are listening that go, okay, great, but what's that title mean? Right. Well, it, to put it in sort of corporate terms, so if if it was a corporation, I don't like thinking about the church as a corporation, but okay. it's sometimes helpful. So the diocesan bishop is the CEO. Okay. He's, he's the president. The vicar general is the COO, chief operating officer. Gotcha. And or executive vice president, you might say. And then an Episcopal vicar is like a regional vice president. You have a, a territory or a particular dossier. That's really helpful. Thank you for that. Because a lot of times, even in the church, I've been born and raised in the church, but there are a lot of those titles that I'm not quite clear what they mean. So thank you for that. That's helpful. Good. So you're at Sault Ste. Marie now. You get installed in December. I know you're still getting, I can only imagine it takes quite some time to get used to the geography and the the culture and the people and the communities. But at the same time, just initially, what's your dream for that area? I don't know that I have a dream for this area as I have a dream for whatever area I might've gone to. Yes. Then there are specific ways of living that dream that are particular to an area, you know, because cultures are different. Right. Uh, I actually outlined that dream in my homily at the mass where I was installed. So I was installed on December 17th as diocesan bishop, and I preached a homily. That homily has actually been published. We published it in our diocesan gazette, which we just started doing. Because as I've told some of the people here, I'm going to refer back to that homily quite often. Right. You're, I'm going to refer back to it. That wasn't just you know, the, the usual 10-minute speech you get at Mass at a certain point. <laughs> there was something, it, it wasn't a plan with, you know, outcomes right. and charts, but kind of a philosophy. And I started with the story of my own personal encounter with Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and how that encounter was for me transformative 
And then I spoke about how a friend of mine, seeing the difference, asked how she could live the same encounter. So I, I proposed to her a, you know, something to do, which didn't work. It just didn't work. And so... You mean there's not one way to bring people to Christ? Is that what you're doing? I, I have looked for the button to push or the switch to flip in order for people to meet the Lord. But what I've discovered is God is singularly resistant to being manipulated. <laughs> and so... Uh, and this is part of the problem. We are in the relationship business. Yeah. Hey, get a hold of yourself, man. Get a hold you're, of yourself. You're killing me. I'm dying laughing here. Okay, keep going. No, but we're we're in the relationship business, and you know one of the things about that is you you just can't you you can't package that. You know you. you People bring who they are, and the Lord brings who he is and his plan of providence and plan of love. And so the question is, surely God wants to encounter people. God wants to be in their life. And actually, in my homily, I talked about how I was kind of annoyed at the Lord, you know, that I was a little embarrassed. You know, my friend didn't have any kind of profound encounter like I had had. And I kind of got annoyed at him. And I said, what are you doing? You know, where are you? And work for me. What's going on here? Well, exactly. You know, and, and that was the start probably for me of the development of a pastoral paradigm under, you know, in prayer, through reading and through a few heart to hearts with the Lord, you know, about where are you and what are you up to? And, and I mean, the short answer basically was the Lord telling me, um, yeah, I don't jump through hoops just because you hold them up. But I do want to be in people's lives. And in fact, I already am in a subtle yes. way. And so it's about, it's about making explicit something that's already present implicitly. And most of our pastoral action, the analogy I use sometimes is it's like gardening, you know. You can garden, and if you, I'm a terrible gardener, by the way, but <laughs> I like the analogy. Uh, I like to think I'm probably a better gardener of souls than of actual plants. We'll go with that. Yeah, but the thing with gardening is you can till the soil, you can adjust its chemicals, you can add fertilizer, you can, you know, chase away the bugs and the pests and and you can water it, you can talk to your plants, you can do all kinds of things. The one thing you can't do is actually make the garden grow. You cannot give the plants life. That's something that's already present implicitly in the seed, and in the right conditions, it flourishes. And Jesus used the analogy of the seed and its growth, you know, in the parable of the sower. And so what the parable of the sower doesn't say, you know, what's the parable of the sower 2.0 is the work of the farmer to prepare the soil so that is the good soil that the seed can fall in. And so, you know, I, I'm a, I see my role as a tiller. You know, I'm the one to till the soil right? Uh, to help prepare it. And the Lord will give the growth. Um, you know, St. Paul says that one plants another waters, but the Lord gives the growth. And so that has been kind of my philosophy of pastoral care. That opens up so much for me that thank you for sharing that there. Are, I, one of the things I run into, of course, 
anybody that knows me knows how much I appreciate using Alpha as a tool to reach those who might not be in a relationship with Jesus. And and just like your story, it doesn't work for everybody. Like not, it doesn't, it just doesn't, and nothing does. And that's why I was laughing so hard at that. That's the first time I've cried on a podcast. I was laughing so hard. I literally had to wave tears away. Um, But you know, I think what happens is so some people have kind of gotten away from this kind of organizationally organizational efforts for evangelizing and they've moved to, and I'm not saying one or the other, but I've seen this happen to individual. You have to get really good at your testimony and helping people come to faith. And as, as, as if you have to choose one or the other. And I, but I think at the heart of that is people have given up on the ability to do that in a church because because of whether it's not led well, whether people, uh, you, you know, it just, they just give up. If you have a heart for evangelization and your church doesn't want to do it, or there's no consistency or the quality stinks and you're embarrassed to bring your friends there, then the only hope you have is to try to get better at it yourself. And I don't know that not a ton of Catholics that are particularly comfortable with that or even aspire to that. What role does a local parish play in that? providing the good soil for life to start or to flourish? Well, I think the first thing we need to realize is that the ultimate protagonist of evangelization is the Lord himself. I mean, I I tell the story of a friend of mine, a young woman who grew up in a non-practicing Buddhist family, families from Southeast Asia. And she was a, you know, non-practicing Buddhist leading in her case to being a non-practicing whatever, you know, she just, she had no opinion. And in Buddhism, certain strands of Buddhism, there's really, they're kind of agnostic. They, they don't have much of an opinion as to whether or not God exists. Right. Uh, spiritual, but not religious, you might say. Hmm. And so she was walking down the street and it was a bright sunny day. She had, was on a lunch break. Her parents owned a little, you know, sandwich shop nearby and, she just had this thought that hit her. God exists. And it was, it just hit her. Like, I don't know where she wasn't thinking about it. If she wasn't, you know, on some deep spiritual quest, it just, God exists. And it was this thought that came to her with complete certainty. And so she thought, what should I do with this? Yes. Now that I have come to this realization, what should I do with this? And it turns out near the sandwich shop was a church. It happened to be the cathedral in Montreal. So she figured, well, maybe I should go into a a church. That's a house of God. And so she walked in. She had no idea. She'd never been in a church before. So she walked in, and that church has a mass at lunchtime. She was on her lunch break. So she managed to get there, and she sat down. She heard the homily and listened. She thought, this is interesting. So she would come back on her lunch break. She learned when it started. and. By observing, she learned when to stand and when to kneel and when to sit. And she went to receive communion with everybody else, wasn't baptized, but went to receive communion with everybody else. And at one point, the pastor saw her coming and talked to her and got her story and suggested maybe she should go through RCIA and get baptized, which she did. Yeah. And, you know, so here's the thing. Technically, she was not, you know, following our rules. Right. But was the Lord calling her? Was the Lord receiving her? I I think beautiful things were happening in her soul. And thank goodness 
that pastor was attentive to what God was doing yes. with her. So the, the church that is, the, what was the parish's function? It was first of all to welcome. Yes. To welcome what God was doing, not just to welcome her, but to welcome what God was doing in her through welcoming her and with welcoming her. And then with that welcome came the friendship, the building of friendship. And with friendship, that bridge of trust came formation. She went on to be, uh, to get a doctorate in theology, by the way. Come on. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, now what would have happened if that day she had gone to the church and pulled on the door and it was locked? You know, what would have happened if she had been in that church and someone had been called to her? Now, initially, she didn't want to be talking to a lot of people. She just wanted to sit in the back pew and observe. And thankfully, the church was big enough. There were lots of back pews. I I knew one Protestant church where they had a rule that faithful parishioners were not allowed to sit in the back two pews because that way, if somebody did sit there, everybody knew they were new. They were just there to check it out. And that way they could be approached in a friendly way. That's a good idea. You know, and that was one of the ways that the ordinary people collaborated with evangelization was by not sitting in the back two pews. It's God, something super cool. simple, you know, but it was a sign of welcome for the stranger. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. So she, you know, as I say, how, what can a parish do? I think one of the core functions of the parish is to be welcoming and to welcome the work that God is doing in people's hearts and spot it for what it is. And then after that, offer the formation and the opportunity to worship and growth in prayer and all those things. Parishes are like schools. It's a school of spiritual gifts, but it starts by recognizing what are the gifts. It's not a, a school that sort of manufactures graduates. It's almost like a like an art school. You know, you have to you have to see what the talents are that somebody's bringing, and then help them hone that in a way that respects the gift they have. And brings it to a greater perfection. And the Lord is already working in people's hearts. So I, I see parishes as schools, but you start also by welcoming those who are attentive. I developed a, a paradigm for how to measure welcoming. Um, it's a that. bit in a rough draft right now, but I, I think that it, we could step through things to see where we're at on that that paradigm. That might be something helpful for us to look at down the road here or anywhere, but. No, I would love to do that. So, uh, honestly, I get absolutely getting lost in our conversation. Like, <laughs> totally, totally lost, having fun, just going down the the the, the river, so to speak, of, of of thought. So, thank you for that. So, not not you have a dream, not necessarily for that place. It was your dream anywhere. How would you? And you articulated in that homily, um, a place where where people could encounter Christ, be welcome. Tell me more. Well, the, one of the things that I, I believe in is that there's a, we have to distinguish uh, evangelization, discipleship, the apostolate, and ministry. Okay. Uh, I call this uh, my four-bubble diagram. Okay. I don't have the bubbles to show you today, but I, I first started thinking about this because when I was a seminarian, we were studying the history of the church in Quebec. 
And one of the interesting things about the bishops of Quebec is, uh, you know, bishops go to Rome every few years for something called an ad limina visit. It's a visit to the various offices in Rome and you give your report. Well, the bishops of Quebec prepared their reports and published them. There were a number of those were made available publicly. And so you could actually see what the bishops were thinking, you know, and what they were presenting. And because I have a degree in business, I was used to reading corporate annual reports. Right. And so I thought, well, wait, maybe I can apply some of the what I learned from reading those to reading these. Because obviously, when you publish a report, there's a bit of marketing involved, you know, and what have you. Uh, and so I, I read the reports, but I read them in sequence to see, well, did they actually address the things they had addressed in the previous report? Or, you know, how did what was the continuity? And one thing I learned is that uh, for the bishops of that time, evangelization and catechesis meant the same thing. Right. Uh, it's very clear because there would be a section, what are you doing about evangelization? Or here's what we're doing about evangelization. And it listed catechesis. That's, That's what of, was there. A lot of parishes still do that. Well, and, and why was that? It, certainly within Quebec, where the idea of being a missionary meant you left Quebec right. to go to some foreign land. Uh, you know, people were very practicing. The only people to evangelize really were the next generation. Right. I see. But so catechesis would have made more sense. In that context. But what happens when you're starting, that, that system is starting to break down, right? And one thing you learn in, in business is when organizations are under stress, they don't tend to adjust their behavior to what they need the new thing they need to be doing very often they just continue to do more of the old uh but if there's been a paradigm shift in their environment they've got to have a paradigm shift internally those that do that succeed those that don't fail you know like there were companies that made typewriters right and they made lots of money making typewriters they're not around anymore you know there's a you can still buy a typewriter but obviously the demand is a lot lower so that was the first major insight. So for me, it made me realize that we have to distinguish evangelization and catechesis and understand what each of them is for. The next thing that I sort of saw as I was studying these things and reflecting on them is the importance of the apostolate versus the ministry. The apostolate is our calling to go out into the world and change the world. And that's the calling that derives from our baptism. Ministry is something, we, we use the term somewhat loosely, but that's much more closely associated with sort of inter, internal church functions. And, you know, we talk about we need to have people involved in our faith and why aren't people more involved in, in the living out of their faith. And I remember challenging some of my brother priests on this, and I said to them, guys, Suppose the Holy Spirit descended upon everyone in our parish and they were all on fire suddenly with the Lord. And they all came forward simultaneously and said, each of us is willing to give one hour a week, 10 hours a week, whatever. Let's split the difference. Five hours a week to serve the Lord in whatever thing you need us to do. So what do you want us to do? And after we had filled the, the lectors and the Eucharistic right. ministers yeah. and the catechism, 
what would we do with the other 90% of our people? And if we don't know, let's not be surprised the Lord's not sending them. And so that's where there's ministry. That's the 10%, but the other 90% need the ministry in order to be, have that, the kind of infrastructure, human infrastructure to, to, to attach to. The analogy I like to use is bones and muscles. The muscles make the body move, the bones give it structure, and you need both. Even if the function of the bone sometimes is to resist, you know, the muscles push, the bones resist. Believe me, let me tell you, any parish priest has had people be the muscle pushing against them and they've had to resist. It happens. But the thing is, try walking with a broken leg where the bone can't provide the resistance anymore. It, you need both because it gives leverage. It amplifies the power. So unfortunately, one thing I've come to realize is that the vision of ministry, instead of being a skeleton, like inside our bodies, very often we have a, we operate like it's an exoskeleton, like a lobster or a crab, you know? And, and the way those animals, they have their bones on the outside. They have their skeleton on the outside because it acts like armor. It protects right. them. And But the thing is, the only way they can grow is to actually shed the structure, go through a period of tremendous vulnerability, slowly harden into a new structure, and then they can kind of get on with their life. Huh. So the, the issues we're facing in the church right now is the problem that we need to shed one exoskeleton to get another one. See, it, it, the thing is, Having lots of people involved, what if the 90% came forward? It's a lot of effort to work with them. Like, it's a lot of work. Yeah, and so many staff, so many churches don't have any staff at all because they... So what do we do, you know? And so it's very easy to just say, well, we'll just give the 10% all the jobs, you know, and we'll count on people who are within the structure already, within the exoskeleton. But if that starts to crack... If that's, you know, and so I, I think personally, the Lord is calling us to have bones, you know, uh, to not be a lobster or a crab or a beetle. I think he's calling us to stand upright. And for that, you need, you know, you need the, uh, the kind of solid bones. So those are all different pieces. So the, the four bubbles are evangelization, catechesis, the apostolate and ministry. and I see those as uh, systems within the church as a dynamic system. It's all driven by the Holy Spirit who calls us to relationship with the Lord, who then equips us, missions us, and so on, and calls some of us to special vocations within the church. But we're not always called to a vocation so much within the church. We're called to a vocation as the church, and that's our mission to the world. I, remember. I think I'm talking too much, aren't I? No, I'm just, no, not at all. I'm loving it. I, I really am. Like, I'm just taking it in. A lot of these things that you're sharing with me, the way you're articulating them is new for me. Uh, not inconsistent with, with the things that I'm passionate about, but it's just, just a real fresh way of ex- understanding it. And so I'm appreciating it. I, I heard of a, a diocese that shut down Alpha in one part of the world uh, because so many people were waking up in their faith and desiring to serve and desiring more. And they didn't know what to do with it because they were just used to 
doing liturgy on the weekends and, and sacraments. And, and really that other 90% was awakening because just like your friend who was a non-practicing Buddhist went on to get a, a PhD in theology, like, boy, when that hunger hits, it's like a team of wild horses. Like, try to stop people from coming to the sacraments. Try to stop them from wanting to serve and to share. And it just begins to awaken inside of them. And, and that does cause issues within parishes. I know one of the things I see over and over again all over the world as we coach into these people is they start hiring. Because giving goes up. The more people come to faith and surrender their life to Jesus and engage in the mission of the church, the more they give, the more they get involved, people find themselves needing to hire and, and not necess- not the types of people they hired in the past doesn't necessarily solve the issues that they're needing to face as they're mobilizing more lay people. Mm-hmm. Before it was traditional, you know, the director of religious education or, you know, things like that, great roles or you know, youth minister or what have you, but there are new roles that are, are showing up in churches that are on mission and that the lay faithful are awakening and more, you know, non-Christians are coming to faith in Jesus. It's, it's pretty, it's creating a problem. It's a good problem, but it's still a problem. Well, it, it is a nice problem to have. And, <laughs> uh, but it, you know, the thing is if people do come forward and then they're frustrated, that's not nice either. You know, right. uh, and that's why I say maybe that's one of the reasons why the Lord seems dormant. Mm. What would we do? Are we ready? You know, because this is relationship. It's the long haul. Mm. So uh, in Montreal, one of the things we did with regards to the apostolate in particular is we created a, a new charity called Catholic Action. There's actually an article in America Magazine about it recently, of all places. This tiny charity in Montreal is an America Magazine. Neat. But the, uh, the idea of this charity, you know, many Catholic charities work on what I call a client-server model. You know, okay. so you have, you have a clientele. So you fundraise, get a big pot of money. You hire specialists to deliver services to the clientele. Okay. Uh, we tried to develop a different model, one where we hired a person to be sort of like a, a director of volunteer services or, or a coordinator for spiritual entrepreneurship. And so the idea was that people who were feeling that call to do something, the, the organization acts like an incubator. It acts as an incubator for new initiatives so that they can start in a protected environment with support and then grow and flourish and, and hopefully, you know, take off. And the idea was to, you know, the, the model that many organizations have, it's people helping people. Right. Our model was people helping people help people. We took it one step back. And so uh, what happened from that? Well, it's been hard to explain. I found it interesting. It's been hard to explain because, like I said, it's a kind of entrepreneurship of the apostolate, a kind of spiritual entrepreneurship, which we are really not used to. The church, you know, if, if the church was a government and we had an economy as of money as opposed to an economy of spirituality, we're fairly command-driven. There's not always a lot of room for entrepreneurship, you know, or when it does happen, 
when it does happen, people can kind of go, well, what's that about, you know? Um, but it, with regards to this particular charity, so for example, there was a seniors group that was being supported by another group. They found themselves kind of cast off and they needed a, a home to do the, help them do things like give tax receipts, like very basic mm-hmm. functions. And what I've learned through my business education is that when organizations succeed, they succeed for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. So uh, the sandwich shop succeeds very differently from the computer repair shop. Right. You couldn't take the people working in one and put them in the other and they would succeed. They succeed for different reasons. But when they fail, they tend to fail for the same reasons. You know, they usually fail because of a lack of liquidity, a lack of experience, the boring tasks of just keeping things in order. And so we decided we're going to be the boring people who are going to help others succeed in the gifts that they have. Did you put that so on your the, card? Like, is that, was that on your business card? Where the that, that, I don't recall seeing it in any of our promotional material, but it certainly was a key item of uh, the philosophy. Right. And so we, so the seniors group was saved. The a group of uh, Afghan women refugees, none of whom are Catholic, by the way, but they approached us and said, we, we would, we just want to help each other and we want to support each other, but we need help getting started. We need, we need an office space. So we helped them. The embassy of Afghanistan to Canada actually gave us a thank you present for that. Amazing. You know, the Catholic action. Isn't that cool? Uh, so one fellow came forward. He wanted to help work on a project regarding mental health, supporting people with certain mental health challenges in a way that's inspired by scripture. How do we help that? So we help structure that. And so this new initiative called Kingdom Mindset was born. Little things, little things. But again, if you provide the structure that others can then be empowered with, you can do great things. Now, those are, those are more services to the community, but the apostolate includes the work of evangelization. So the loop closes. Evangelization leads to discipleship, leads to the apostolate. And one of those apostolates is evangelization. So right. it, it becomes a, a, a productive chain, you know, a, a yeah. chain reaction, you might say, that is perpetuated. That is so neat. So, I love the term spiritual entrepreneurship. So sometimes in the work that, that I do, sometimes people, I remember people used to say to me, oh, you're the business guy who brings business practices into the church. And I would sometimes I'd say, well, have you ever been in big business lately? Like they suffer from issues of lack of integrity and, you know, goals on the wall that everybody or values on the wall that people know we don't live. Like I'm, I've always felt like the, the, actually the church person who brought Christ values to the business world, but it can go both ways. And, and it's so refreshing to hear you talk, you know, you have a business degree, you're a bishop, you talk about spiritual entrepreneurship and just unleashing people because of this whole idea of this apostolate, this when people are filled with passion and love for Christ, God's given them gifts and he wants to unleash them to make the world a better place. And you, through the work that you've done, have kind of helped mobilize that. What a cool principle. So what types of things, again, take your training, your experience, 
and your new role as a bishop. What's your approach as you you're you're launching into this new season of your life with these new people that I'm excited for them. <laughs> excited for you guys to really fall in love with each other and get to know each other. But what's going to be your approach? Well, again, there are certain basic things that need to be done. We are still, unfortunately, stuck in lockdown and a state of emergency in Ontario. So a lot of the things I'd like to do, like get out and actually see places and meet people, it's very hard. Yeah. And so, but it, it, in some ways, it's probably a good thing. It gives me a chance to take care of some kind of basic, basic functions. Sure. I've started to uh, get a statistical portrait done of the diocese, actually started to get a map developed. Mm -hmm you know, to see where are the communities and, and not just where are the parishes, but where are the people of this diocese? Cause mm -hmm. I, I don't feel I'm Bishop just to the Catholic, oh, you know, that. for the basic principle that Jesus didn't come for the Catholics. Jesus <laughs> came for everybody. As it turns out, there were no Catholics when Jesus was around. So, uh, you know, I'm not here just for the Catholics. If I'm, I'm, if I'm carrying on his mission, I'm here for everybody. Oh, wow. I'm, Trying to do so in, in partnership with others. Yeah. So I've developed a good relationship already with the Anglicans, for example, to see Alpha. You mentioned Alpha. That's a gift from the Anglican Church yeah. to the Universal Church. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I just, I don't think the Holy Spirit, I also don't believe the Holy Spirit is sort of limited in his function to Catholic channels. Again, mm. you know, the Lord is, like I said earlier, he, he's quite resistant to being told what to do. He is going to do what he's going to do. And so the Holy Spirit is going to work in people's lives and hearts. And sometimes what we have to do is discern where he's working, even in other churches, in order to receive the gifts that are happening. Right. You know, I, I just don't think the Holy Spirit, he would say, oh, the those Catholics over there, they're kind of resistant to my promptings. The Anglicans over there, they seem pretty receptive, but, oh, you know, they're not Catholic, so I can't go there either. Like, I, that's not how God's going to think about it. So, but they, there's a beautiful freedom that comes from thinking that way and a, a kind of joy of discovery that I think, you know, there, there's something about the church. It's bigger on the inside than on the outside. Mm. You no, know, it's it, once you're, you begin to see where the Lord is working and if you have sort of eyes of wonder. You can see amazing things. And so that's a kind of my initial approach is to get to know our resources, get to know the, the sort of the scope of this mission yeah, and, and try and develop the relationships and the partnerships needed so that we can not just do stuff, but engage multiple uh, sources like the laity, the clergy, and what have you, the Anglicans, all yeah. working together. I remember visiting India years ago, and I met a bishop who had just been ordained. And so he'd been ordained a little less than me. Now, I think I had only been ordained two years as a bishop. Right. But he says to me, what advice would you have for a person who's just ordained as a bishop? And I'm thinking, I've only got two years. But I said, uh, well, you know, uh, two oxen can pull a cart further than 10 elephants if the oxen are pulling in the same direction and the elephants are pulling in all directions uh, you know so find the people who are pulling in the same direction uh, fix the cart you know the cart is the infrastructure you, you've got a you can't have a broken axle you got to have your wheels aligned so 
get the cart working. That's the diocesan structure. That's the parish structure. That's the stuff like policies and procedures. And, yes. you know, if that's broken, like I tell people, good administration does not build the kingdom of God. Good administ- the kingdom of God is built by preaching the word, celebrating the sacraments, serving the poor. But bad administration can really get in the way of building the kingdom of God. So, you know, make sure your cart is working, but then get your oxen to pull. You know, and then you'll get somewhere. Those two, those two pieces go together. So that's kind of, I, we're actually still friends. I keep in touch with that bishop uh, from India. That's awesome. Uh, Where's so, he at in India? Uh, he's uh, in the Diocese of Eluru. It's uh, sort of on the eastern coast of the uh, Indian subcontinent. That's neat. Yeah. What, um, in my work with dioceses, and, and even the priests in the diocese they work with, there's not, this probably won't be a surprise to you, and I hope this isn't the case where you're coming into, but there's not, there isn't always a great relationship between the diocesan reality and life in on the ground in parishes. And again, I don't know if that's what, what the situation would be where you're at. And, um, but what, what is your hope for that relationship? Who would you want the diocese to be in relation to the parishes and the, 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 the presbyterate? The, yeah, the, the parishes are key because as I said, those are the centers where the Eucharist is celebrated, but, more than that, it's the, it's the centers where catechism happens. So the Eucharist as an engine of formation for people. You know, uh, most people, the vast majority of the Christian formation they receive is through homilies. Right. You know, it's not through reading books or, you know, watching YouTube videos. Some people get it that way. Absolutely. Yeah. But the, the standard bread and butter is through that. It's through, that's where they exercise their stewardship, give of their time and talent and treasure. So the parish acts, I, I like to say parishes are like a Kung Fu school. You know, you, you can, it's a school, it's a school, but you can't learn Kung Fu just by reading a book about it. Right. You know, you actually have to practice. And so a parish ideally transmits knowledge. It also transmits opportunity for practice in many ways, in many cases that it's the place where, you know, the vast majority of our people will have access to that if they have access to it. So how to have the link between dioceses and parishes, dioceses and clergy? Well, with the clergy, it's through obviously getting to know them, uh, through developing common vision. I'm in the process of rebooting our presbyteral council here at the diocese and, you know, trying to think through again, what is the whole point of this? Do we just have to have meetings or like, what's the point? Why do we have this? So to try and get us all on the same page. With the parishes, one thing I did in Montreal is I undertook a series of parish visits. Mm-hmm. And so I would actually go to a parish and I would stay there for a week. I would celebrate the masses the first weekend. I'd move into the rectory. I would meet with the various parish groups. I would also go into the community and meet community leaders. Like if there was a food bank, not necessarily Catholic food bank, but a food bank, I'd meet with them. If there was a the mayor of a local municipality, I sometimes meet that person. Uh, there was a university campus or college campus. I try and meet the leaders there. Whatever, I would try and see how how was this parish planted in this community. And then 
because that's a that's an important sign of vitality. Mm. Is the I remember the very first parish I ever visited. It was in a sort of the far end of the diocese, and I met the mayor of the municipality where the parish was located. And the first thing he said to me is, "Are you here to sell me the church?" I said, "No. Why would you think I'm here to sell you the church?" He said, "Well, because the parish is closed." I said, "No, it isn't." And the mayor says, "Yes, it is." So I looked and I said, Mr. Mayor, I'm the auxiliary bishop. I would know if the church is closed, okay? Let me assure you, it's not closed. Yeah. But why would you think it's closed? He said, well, you know, this parish, they used to be involved in the, our, our small town. We have sort of community day where all the community groups come together and people mingle and kind of showcase who they are. And the parish used to come and it stopped coming. And we would call them and nobody would call us back. And so we just figured, well, it must be closed. And the, the parking lot was kind of behind the church, so you wouldn't see people parked in front on a Sunday. Sure. And so they were still doing all the churchy things for Catholics. But so, you know, how do the, the visits to the churches were a chance to kind of get to know them in depth, uh, see the beautiful things God is doing, challenge to see how they can take it to the next level, give reassurance. One parish I was visiting, uh, they had this unfinished project to build a ramp for handicap access. Right. So I said, how come this is languishing? How come this has been waiting? They said, well, we need this amount of money and you know, we haven't been able to raise it. I said, that's odd. Why would that be? And somebody said, well, there are rumors this church is going to close. And so nobody wants to give unless they have some sense that it's going to stay open. Right. So I did a full analysis and it turned out we needed a church in that place. There was no question. I said, whether it closes or not is up to you, but I could promise you that, you know, if you step up, we won't euthanize you. I don't believe in euthanasia. And so, and so wouldn't you know, the money flowed in and they had the thing built in a few months later. So a common sense of mission, yes. common sense of purpose has real impact for parish life and vitality. Mm. That's another thing I learned. Lots of other wonderful things from those visits. Again, you know, the Holy Spirit is amazing. This gentleman, he must have been in his mid-80s. He comes to see me because I would, I would open it up to the parish. If you want to come talk to me, you know, cut the hierarchy. If you want to come talk to me, I'm here. Make an appointment. And people did. So he comes to meet with me and we sit down and I say, so what do you want to tell me about the parish? He says, well, I don't really want to tell you anything about the parish. This happens sometimes. People yeah. who wanted to talk about something going on in their personal life yeah. said, is there anything going on in your personal life you want to share with me? No, not really. I said, so what are we doing here? Yeah. He said, well, I never met a bishop before. <laughs> this was my big chance. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you didn't disappoint. <laughs> so we, we just talked and had a great time. You know, I went another time, a 10-year-old kid who loved science and he wanted to know, could he believe in God? and be a scientist at the same time and his mom said would you meet with my son sure oh i mean That's she wonderful. was close by but it, what is god going to do with that kid what god do with that man what does god do through these simple human encounters with communities it it did a lot for me certainly i like to think it brought something yeah. to the parish and my going away from montreal people talked about those visits you know years later and so that was something I don't know to what extent I'll be able to do the same here, but right. I'd like to. Well, I'll tell you, if you if I was a parish priest and you were coming to my diocese or my 
rectory for a week. I'd be excited because I know you're a good cook. <laughs> you haven't actually tasted anything I've cooked, so you can't really say that. All I've done is show pictures. It looks good. It looks good. It looks yeah. better than my craft dinner. I would be <laughs> enjoy lunch with you, buy all the ingredients, and and uh, and uh, be in the kitchen while you're preparing it. That's for sure. Bishop Tom, how can we pray for you? Uh, the listeners that are listening, it's just been a treat to walk through with you some of your thinking, some of your philosophies, taking some of your learnings and unpacking them for us as you're going to be applying them to this new uh, call, this, this new journey that you're on. How can we, the listeners, pray for you and your diocese over the coming months? Well, I, what can I say? I'm new here. I have a lot to learn. And the most important thing for me is to be uh, docile to the spirit and just to be growing as a disciple. This is for me personally. Yeah. Uh, I remember hearing the story of a bishop who arrived at a diocese and sat down with, you know, some close advisors. And he said, what's, what's the most, what's the place to start in order for me to be able to support this church? Somebody answered, well, Bishop, it starts with your canonization. So, you know, uh, that growth and holiness is so important. Um, so please pray for me for that, you know, that I can continue to grow as a disciple. It's not about being a bishop. It's about being a disciple. Mm. You know, that starts with that. My baptism came first before my ordination, and it didn't get erased when I got ordained. So Amen. That, that for me is the heart. Uh, and then just to, you know, please pray for our parishes, pray for our people, that the Holy Spirit can, you know, just be truly unleashed. We, I, th- there's a great story that Jesus gives about the woman who bothers the unjust judge, and she just keeps harassing him until he finally, you know, gives her, gives her justice. And so the Lord was kind of teasingly saying, you can harass God. It's okay to, to yeah. implore and to come back repeatedly. And so that that would be, you know, obviously a great benefit to know that we're being prayed for. Yeah. If people wanted to pray and obviously you can just pray on your own, but pray and perhaps find a way to let us know. This is something I learned from the Curcio movement. When you pray for someone, find some small way to let them know. Yes. Because that way they they feel supported. Mm-hmm. And I would love to be able to retransmit to my people, the the knowledge that others are praying for us, not just sort of a vague, yeah, yeah, they're praying, but yes. you know, to know that this community here is saying a specific prayer on this day for the Diocese of Sault Ste. Marie, to recruit sort of prayer warriors, you might say. I think yeah. that would be that would be wonderful. How how can we do that? How specifically? How can we how can we connect to send that message to let you know uh, who's doing that for you in your diocese? Well, uh, thanks to the power of internet, something as simple as an email would be wonderful. Uh, People have, you know, the news of my appointment here, I've gotten many letters and and cards from people already. That's quite a bit of effort. I don't want to put people out. Um, So for me and for the diocese, just to be able to say, we're rooting for you, Bishop. I mean, through this podcast, we're, we're going to be talking to a lot of people, right, from all over the world. Absolutely. I'm happy to share this experience with them, and I'm happy to receive their support. Love it. Uh, particularly their prayer. So what's the email we're sending it to? Oh my gosh. Uh, 
Now you're catching me off guard. <laughs> it's all right. I can edit it out. I can keep it in either way. We're good. Yeah. Why don't we, why don't I get back to you on that? It sounds uh, good. Yeah. With regards that to that. that would be so good. if, if there are listeners that want to follow you, the pro the progress that's happening in the diocese or follow you personally, where would they reach you or where, where could they do that? I'm very active on social media. I have a personal website, which I started years ago. And so that one is thomasdowd.ca. Okay. So T-H-O-M-A-S-D-O-W-D dot C-A. Okay. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Within that, there's a tab for social media. And so you can see my various social media presence and click on any of those and follow me on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Uh, there are different, different media that exists. So. I would love it if we could do this again down the road as you continue to get settled in as the pandemic lifts and we get back to normal life to just see how things are going, to hear what you're excited about and to continue to celebrate what God is doing in your area. Thank you. Yeah, that'd be great. I would really enjoy that. God bless you. God bless you. Isn't Bishop Thomas Dowd great? If you have any questions that you would like to ask a bishop, go to ronhuntley.com and send me a note, and I'll make sure we get that question in the next conversation I have with a bishop. This episode airs on a Canadian holiday, so if this is a holiday for you, enjoy your rest. For us Canadians, we're getting double vaccinated at a record pace, and we hope to enter our new normal by September. So get all the rest you need, church. A new level of focus on mission is ready to start soon. Thanks for joining me. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Thank you.